in here. And uh, I appreciate everyone's had a part in this service. I appreciate Brother Johnny getting up a little bit ago. I know he was a little bit nervous uh, to do that. I told him if he wanted to sing first, he could. He had the same reply. No. But uh, I'm glad to have you here today. Thank you for coming. Let me just ask you a question. I'm, I've been here for about six and a half years. But how many of you went to the school, Emmanuel uh, Christian School? Raise your hand there. There you go. All right. How many of you were part of the daycare? Part of the daycare. All right. How many of you got in trouble by Miss Faye in daycare? Miss <laughs> Faye, some of your own children are raising their hand. But, no. Oh, good. Well, I tell you, I listen to those stories, and I tell you, I start thinking about a lot of things and just how, how blessed um, we are to be here today. You know, we're here today... It's all God. No, don't get me wrong. It's all God. And man, we never take nothing away from God. But I'm thankful for the godly men and women that God put so we can even be here today to have this service. I wouldn't be here and you wouldn't be here either if it wasn't for those people that God has used. And by the way, the people God's still using today, which I'm thankful for. But I'm going to tell you right now, I'm not much on fried chicken. So the idea of me swallowing a live goldfish, some of y'all started looking that direction if I got a hard time with chicken on the bone, let me tell you right now, anything squirming like that is probably not going down this hatch right here voluntarily. Okay? I ain't going to shave my head either. Some of y'all getting some other ideas. That's all right. Say, Brother Phil, you're prideful. Just enough not to swallow live goldfish, then sure. But, you know, I've been really thinking and praying about this particular service. And I do want to say, as has been said, thank you for being here today. And I just kind of stop and think about when God allowed the church to start 50 years ago in that first service, God didn't just see that service. He saw what's going to happen right here today. And you're not here by accident. You're not here just because, well, you say, I'm here because I got invited. I got here, I'm here because my mama or my daddy or grandma or grandpa would be mad at me if I wasn't here. Some of you just be honest. I'm, not here, I'm here today because you're going to text and call me if I didn't show up today, too. And everything that goes in today, I'm just very thankful for. I'm overwhelmed. But I've been praying and asking God to give me whatever the message was for today for about two years, just to be honest with you. Because there's a verse in Hebrews chapter number 11. And it's a list of people. And in Hebrews chapter 11, I encourage you to go ahead and turn there if you would. And this is not going to be our text today, but I think it's a verse that... Kind of, I guess, say the Lord used in my life to give me what I feel like he wants us to look at today. And in Hebrews chapter number 11, you get a list of men and women that God used their lives because of their faith in God. And we kind of call Hebrews chapter 11 the hall of faith. And it lists all kinds of things. And a lot of times we look at the hall of faith, so to speak, in Hebrews 11, and we look at the the first verse of Hebrews 11, it says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And it starts to list some different things. But the very first person, after you get a definition of faith in verses number 1 through 3, you get the very first dem uh, demonstration of faith is in verse number 4, where it talks about Abel. If you look at the verse, it says, By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, verse 4, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead yet speaketh. You know, Cain, excuse me, Cain and Abel, the first boys, or the first people born while you're on earth, you have Adam and Eve and their sons Cain and, and Abel and Seth. But to our knowledge, Abel is the very first person to die. Abel is the very first person that had breath on this earth that actually went into eternity. So if you want to talk about how long eternity is, which is really hard to describe, Abel's been there longer than anyone else that's ever walked the face of this earth. But it says that Abel lived in such a way and lived such a righteous life, even though he's dead, his life still speaks. And when I think about the men and the women that God has used at this place over the last 50 years, I can say with confidence that though they're dead, their life still speaks. And I want to honor God, but I thought, Lord, I want to honor them. What would it be that Brother Layfield would want preached on today? You say, Brother Phil, you got to yield to God. Of course, I got to yield to God. But I just thought to myself, what is it that some of the people that have been here 
since the beginning, that their life is gone and now they're absent from the body. And as we're looking forward to that one day, that great hope to be present with the Lord, what would it be that they'd want us to know today? And that's going to take us to two different places in Scripture. The first one we're going to be is in Philippians chapter 2. And I encourage you people to follow along there in Philippians chapter 2. You say, Brother Phil, are you nervous today? Yeah, I'm nervous all the time. I don't know if you think it. I get nervous all the time. You say, Brother Phil, what do you do when you're nervous? I tell a joke. And some of our regular people are like, even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly now, okay? But I did hear a really good joke. And this joke I thought was pretty fitting, and some people can apply it, as you find your way to Philippians 2. It said that there was a husband and a wife, and, and uh, they were driving down the road in the car, and of course the husband was speeding, and uh, he got pulled over by a police officer. And a police officer came up and says, I want to let you know that you were doing 70 in a 45. He said, no, sir. I was doing 65. 65 is what I was doing. His wife leaned over and said, Harry, you know you're doing 75 miles an hour. And he leaned over and gave her kind of that death look like that. And he said, what's wrong with you? And he said, well, sir, I'm also going to give you a citation because uh, you got a broken taillight. And Harry said, well, sir, I had no idea that taillight was broken. His wife leaned over and said, Harry, you've been telling me for two weeks you're going to fix that taillight. You still haven't done it yet. He looked over at her with this look of anger and rage, like, whose side are you on? He says, sir, I'm also going to give you another citation. He said, what's that for? He says, you're not wearing your seatbelt. He goes, oh, no problem, officer. I took the seatbelt off whenever you pulled me over. Of course, once again, his wife chimes and says, Harry, you've never worn your seatbelt the very first time since we've ever been dating or we've been married. You've never, ever worn your seatbelt. He looked over and said, woman, what is wrong with you? What kind of wife are you? Of course, the police officer didn't really appreciate the tone that he was speaking to his wife. He leaned over down through the window and said, Ma'am, does he always treat you and talk to you this way? She goes, No, officer. He only does it when he's drunk. <laughs> so, so there's your laugh for today. Okay, all right. So, I feel better. Okay, good. Bad thing is I think we're recording that already. So. But, you know, I think about these people's lives that have walked through these doors and people that have been touched. You're here today more than likely because there's been somebody that's still with us in this church or has went on to heaven or is some other part of the world today that God used them to touch you. And even though they may be dead, the Bible says they yet speak their life. And this morning, I'm going to talk to two groups of people that are in this room. And can I tell you something today? Every person in this room falls underneath one of these two groups. You're either here today with Christ, or you're here today without Christ. And I feel like my obligation today to preach as if it was my last chance to get to preach. And I want to talk to you today about your own salvation. I want to talk about whether you're with Christ or without Christ today. The Apostle Paul writes in Philippians chapter number 2, and there's an insert there if you like to follow along. The joke is around here, the insert's there, so you can know when I'm about done. But Philippians chapter number 2, beginning in verse number 12, it says this. Paul says, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my absence only, or not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Do all things without murmurings and disputings, that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Let's pray. Father, I just come to you this morning. And Lord, it's been so good already just to be in your house. Lord, it's so good just to get to see family, friends, people we know, people we don't know. To hear the music, to have the fellowship, to hear of the history of the church. Lord, to stop and honor our veterans. Lord, I thank you for the country that we live in. Thank you for the sacrifice that our military has done and does every day to protect what we're doing right now. And I pray, Lord, that you would bless them today. And Lord, I just pray in the next few moments you would take me as your vessel. Lord, please empty me of sin and self and fill me with your spirit. Oh Lord, I 
help us to understand and reveal to us the meaning of the two passages that we're going to look at today. Lord, if there's one person in this room that does not have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, may today be the day they put their faith and trust in the gift of God. And Lord, I pray if there's someone here today that needs encouragement, Lord, you encourage them. Lord, someone that needs relief and comfort, Lord, I pray you would provide that as well. And Lord, I even pray in my own life where I need conviction, Lord, you might do that as well. May we make much of Jesus in whose name we pray. Amen. When you come to Philippians chapter 2, just to give you a little bit of background, um, Paul is, by the way, he is in prison. He's in prison for preaching the gospel. He's in prison for doing what I'm doing today. And he's writing a letter to this church at Philippi, a very poor financial church. And even though Paul's in prison, his whole theme in Philippians is this, rejoice. Rejoice. Be glad. Have real joy. I'm thinking to myself, if I was thrown in prison for what I'm doing today, I wouldn't be smiling a whole lot. I wouldn't rejoice. But he's trying to encourage them. In the beginning part of the chapter 2, he, he tells them about how Christ came and how he humbled himself. It even goes on to say in verse number 5 of, of Philippians 2, Let this mind be in you, which also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not be robbery to be equal to God, but made himself of no reputation, but took upon himself the form of a servant and became obedient unto death. It goes on to say in verse 8, Even the death of the cross. He goes on he's to say this at the beginning part of the chapter. Jesus came... Jesus came to do the work of your salvation. Because he's talking to believers. He's talking to these body of believers in Christ of this church. And he's saying in the beginning part of the chapter, he said, Jesus has come so he might do the work of salvation. But as we see down here in verse number 12, he says this in the middle of the verse, but now much more my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So Jesus came to do the work of salvation. So now he's saying in verse 12, now it's time to work out your salvation. You say, Brother Phil, you believe in a work salvation? Absolutely not. That is not what this passage is saying. When he says here, work out your own salvation, he's saying this, get the most out of it you can. Get the most out of it you can. You know, I think a lot of times in life, we get in such dire need of things, and when things happen, we, we do the most we can to get the most out of every situation. I know uh, there's times been in my life, not very many times, where I might get a coupon or I might get a buy one, get one thing and not really care about. What I find myself today doing is anytime I get buy anything, if the receipt says do a survey, you get a free hot dog or a free uh, candy bar, I am filling out the survey next time I go because somebody's getting a free Sunday or something. I want to get everything I can out of my purchase. I want to get everything out of what I've been given. And I think today as believers, and this first group I want to talk to today is you that are in Christ, that know Christ as your Savior. The Bible's saying here, he says, think of everything that Jesus has done to provide salvation. Now, are you getting the most out of your salvation? Are you getting the most out of what Jesus has paid for you to have? Are you getting that peace that passes all understanding? Are you getting that joy of the Lord that is your strength? Are you getting that guidance in your life? Are you, are you having that uh, peace and the calm and, the, and just direction that God only gives in your life, that He gives to believers? Are you getting the most out of your salvation? You say, Brother Phil, my salvation is just when I die to go to heaven. No, my salvation is, thank the Lord, that when I die, I'm going to be absent from the body, present with the Lord. But I'm thankful He's not just my Savior, He is my sustainer. He will help me every single day. He'll never leave me nor forsake me, no matter how many times I leave and forsake Him. Which I do that a lot. And we think about this. You know, I don't want to have joy on paper. You say, what do you mean? I don't want to just read the verses. I just don't want to sing the songs and it only be a song. I don't want it to only be on paper. I don't want to be a blessed Christian just in theory. I want to experience the goodness of God. I want to be like David. It says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. I want to have that joy in my life. I want to enjoy the Christian life because can I tell you, some of the most miserable people in the world are not unsaved people. Some of the most miserable people in the world that are ones that have a relationship with Christ, but they are not enjoying at all the fruit of salvation. They're not enjoying it because they live for self. They live for their own thinking. They do whatever they want. And Paul's saying here, he said, you need to work out. That means you need to get the most out of it. And I was thinking about it. It made me think of a commercial that came on last Christmas. I don't know if you saw it, 
But it was this, uh, there was these people, it was a daughter as an adult, and she was standing by the kitchen sink, and her, her dad was an older gentleman, and it was, a, it was an iPod commercial. Or excuse me, yeah, an iPad, excuse me, an iPad commercial. And she, and she saw the iPad sitting there on the counter, and she said, Dad, I can't tell how excited I am that you're really using this gift that I bought you. I'm so glad you love this iPad. And the dad picks it up like that, throws a tomato on there, chops it on top of it, slips it off, slides it in the dishwasher and says, I've never had a better chopping board. And the daughter's like, but I wonder how many times in our life spiritually God's like, yes, I've given you salvation. I've given you peace for your soul but you're not enjoying any of the other things that I also provided for you. You're not enjoying any of the other things that, that I have for you. But you know there's a problem. The first word, work. None of us like work. None of us like, so I love work. You didn't probably like work to begin with. You know, opportunities come up, and a lot of times they come dressed like work. And, you know, I, I think to myself, about eight years ago, I was working at Blue Cross Blue Shield in Columbia, South Carolina, and I sat at a cubicle for a while. And I noticed that I started putting on a little bit of weight. And I didn't like that. And I found myself very lethargic. And I found that I wasn't as energetic as I wanted to be. So I went down to, they had a gym downstairs. And I went to the gym and I went to all these classes. And I started working and working and working. And I found out something. I had muscles I never knew were in this body. Now, I'll just be honest with you. They're all in my legs because these are pipe cleaners, okay? These aren't doing anything for anybody. I understand that. Okay, this is bone with a little flesh on it. But I found in my legs and, and, and even in the stomach a little bit, you know, I found, hey, there's things there that I like. There's things there. But you know what? I had to keep working. I had to keep working. That's why in January there's more new gym memberships than there ever will be around August. You know why? Because we always start right. What about finishing? Hebrews 11 Christians that he being dead yet speaketh kind of Christians don't just start right. They finish right. They keep working. They keep working on their relationship with God. Keep working and trying to go forward in their lives. And, and there's some things that he's saying here you've got to dig up. There's some things here you've got to work out. And, and in these verses here, I want us to see a few things to the believer he shows here. He says, well, how do I work out my own salvation? How do I continue to grow in Christ? Because if you've ever been like me, ever sometimes wonder, how do I grow as a Christian? I am a Christian, but how do I grow? Well, there's some approaches to that. First, we see this in verse uh, number 12. It says this. It says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. What that means is when it comes to your Christian walk, there needs to be a humble approach. I still have to remember something, and we live in a society today, especially where churches and Christians do this. We make it as if we're bringing God down to our level and that God is our buddy. And don't get me wrong, I love the song, What a Friend We Have in Jesus, but i got to remember something. The Bible also says in Isaiah 6, He is holy, holy, holy. And the idea of bringing God down to my level, I'm just trying to justify the way I live. He's not my friend. He's my God. And the idea that any time as a believer you can bow your head in prayer, you're driving down the road and pray, please don't bow your head during that time. And as you're going down the road and you pray, that you literally enter into the presence of God. You ever thought about that? Oh, Brother Phil, I don't, I don't know. When I pray, you tell me I literally go in the presence of God. Read Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. It says, because of what we have in Christ, because of him being our great high priest, let us therefore come boldly into the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Every time you pray, whether you want to acknowledge or not, you enter as a believer in the presence of the holy, holy, holy God. I tell you, if you get nothing else out of it today, it ought to, as a believer, really make you think about your prayer life. It really ought to make you think about how you pray and the seriousness of it when you pray. But a humble approach. It says with fear and trembling. You know what that means? If I'm going to come to God humbly in a humble spirit, you know what that means I can't have? Pride. James chapter number 4, I believe it was, verse number 6, it said, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. Oh, that's just talking about sinners. No, the book of James is actually written to believers. He says, I resist. That means I repel with a proud spirit. But I give not just grace. I give more grace, more grace than what's needed to the humble. 
And that mentality of coming with a humble heart to God. What does it talk about? In, I believe it's 2 Corinthians 7.14. But if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from our wicked ways. You ever wonder why humble comes first? Because if you're not humble, you're not going to pray. If you're not humble, you're not going to seek his face. If you're not humble, you're not going to turn from his wicked ways. And if you're not humble, you're not going to get to the next part of 2 Corinthians 7.14. It says, then God start listening to all the things he'll do. What's the first sin we ever got recorded in Scripture? It's pride. It's pride. Satan fell from heaven. Why? Pride. I will be like God. I will be like the Most High. How was it with Adam and Eve? You can be like God. He made them question God's goodness, and he kind of just planted that seed of pride. So I need to have a humble approach. But not only that, I need to allow heavenly assistance. You say, what do you mean? Look in verse 13. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. That says right there, heavenly assistance. And what's wonderful about the Christian life is this. One of the many wonderful things, excuse me, about the Christian life is this. I'm not doing this on my own. It is a wonderful thing to know when I get into a situation, I don't know what to do, that I got a heavenly father that's listening to me. And I also got a Holy Spirit that's living inside of me that guides me, that comforts me, and that leads me. Lost people don't have that. You ever go to a funeral? You ever go through a hardship in your life? And you sit there as a believer and you look at somebody that doesn't know the Lord and they have no comfort. They have no direction. They have nothing to get through to help them get through the situation. And I'm so thankful that everything that God's allowed me to go through doesn't mean it doesn't hurt, doesn't mean I don't sorrow, doesn't mean I don't grieve. But I'm not doing this alone. I am never alone. And neither are you. Now, let me be honest. I live a lot of times like I'm doing all this on my own. I can take care of it. It's kind of like when we get the teenager mentality, I want independence, and we never lose it as teenagers, never lose it as adults. We want to be independent. We want to do everything on our own. But that heavenly assistance, remember what Jesus told his disciples? He said, if I leave, I will send the comforter. And whenever in Acts chapter number 1, after Jesus had ascended into heaven, they prayed and they begged for God to do what? Send the Holy Spirit. Send the power. And when it happened, the day of Pentecost happened, and it says 3,000 people got saved. How? Not by Peter getting up preaching a great message. But by men and women of God standing and proclaiming through the power of the Holy Spirit what thus saith the Lord, they taught and spoke of Jesus by the way, today, if anything ever is done here in this pulpit, regardless of whoever the pastor is of or whoever's preaching at the time, can I tell you the message of every message needs to be Jesus. I'm scared today. There's many sermons preached. If you took out Jesus, that sermon could still be preached. Because it's a lot of philosophy. It's a lot of theology. You know what I think the best message, you want to know the best commentary on the Bible is? The Bible. God's word. It's not my word. Then there's no opinions or no suggestions in it, but heavenly assistance. But also we see this. How's a way that I can work out my own salvation, meaning how do I grow and get the most out of it? But number three, I see this is with a Christ-like spirit. Now, this is a verse that my mama could quote to me in English, Greek, Hebrew. She know this because my, I'd always do stuff like this. Do all things without murmurings and disputings. My mama, it was hilarious. And I gotta be real careful because my uncle Bobby's here today. It's his his sister right there, and and so me and Uncle Bobby got a good thing going though. So we're good, okay? I almost had Uncle Bobby pray for me today, but I thought if he prays, he's gonna say a lot of stuff I don't want him to bring up <laughs> today. But I'm glad to have Uncle Bobby and Aunt Wanda here. But I remember I would argue with my little sister Dina, and my mama would just become a theologian. Philippians, chapter number two, and in verse number fourteen it says, "Do all things." Philip, what's that word? All. Yes, ma'am. All things. Without murmurings and disputings. I want to look at her and say, well, Mama, the Bible also says that you should love, love your neighbor as Christ, you know, you know, love your neighbor as you love yourself. You know, do those things too. And, you know, I said, the Bible does say that Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. And you're supposed to love like Christ. You know, I try to tell her these things and that's normally not a good way of going either. But my mom always, always say, do all things without murmurings and disputings. You know what that's saying? Have a Christ-like spirit. Give me one verse where Jesus complained. Think how much you complain and gripe in your life. Give me one verse where Jesus complained, where Jesus whined, where Jesus felt sorry for himself. The Bible said he didn't even have a pillow to lay his head down. 
He didn't even have a home. He didn't have any of the things that we enjoy so much in life. And I was listening to Brother Johnny thinking about, can you imagine how many people we'd have today if we had it in a cow barn? You probably wouldn't have a preacher. So before we start throwing rocks that way, I'm trying to honestly, you know, you know why? Because there was a time in life where the main thing was God. The main thing was learning about Christ. The main thing wasn't the coffee. The main thing wasn't the air conditioning. The main thing wasn't the time of the service. The main thing wasn't when I'm getting out of the service. The main thing wasn't even if it's going to be a popular or a good speaker or singer. The main thing was what does God say out of this book right here. That was the main thing. And can I tell you, myself included, we are a spoiled generation. Hey, you're looking at somebody spoiled. I kept thinking today. You ever sometimes get, you know, I'm not supposed to worry about anything. But I tell you, I was like, I wonder if the temperature is going to be right in here today. I wonder if we're going to have enough food. You know, what are we going to do? We're going to have to pray that God multiplies the fried chicken. I mean, what are we going to have to do? You know, by the way, you can have my peace, okay? But I think to myself sometimes, we gripe and complain about things. Let me ask you a question. Do you complain about the things that God's given you? No, Brother Phil, I don't complain about anything that God's given me. You ever complain about your job? You ever complain about your family? Ever complain about the car you drive? Ever complain about your health? Your kids? Your marriage? The opportunity you have to minister? And whatever that is, you ever complain about those things? You know, someone said a long time ago, and I agree with it, it's very humbling to think of this. What if you woke up today with only the things you thanked God for yesterday? Would you even be saved? Did you thank God for your salvation yesterday? Do you thank God for your health yesterday? Do you thank God for your church yesterday? Do you thank God for your spouse yesterday? I tell you, it's a very humbling thought. I'm not pointing fingers at you. But what if you woke up today and the only thing you had in life is what you thanked Him for yesterday? Because what does Scripture say in James? Every good gift and every perfect gift cometh from above. Well, I earned this job. Well, who gave you the ability to earn it? Well, I tell you, I worked hard for this home. Well, who do you think gave you the health to be able to work hard to have the home? Who gave you favor in the eyes of those people that you got that home and did all those things? I tell you, we complain a lot about things that just don't matter. I do too. We. We complain about stuff that just doesn't matter. And we complain and complain. Then we look back and say, God, why aren't you doing something miraculous in my family? God, why aren't you doing something miraculous in my ministry? God, why aren't you doing something miraculous in my home? Because all we do is complain about it. We want God to bless our bad choices. <laughs> you ever have a child have a bad attitude? What do you want to do for that child? Let, let me give you whatever you want now, honey. No, no, you say, uh-uh. I can't tell you how I heard my life. You get that attitude right, then we'll talk. I wonder how many times God looks at me and says, and, and you want me to bless that? That's the attitude you have? That's the spirit you have? You, you want me to bless that? God, I don't know why he doesn't. You know why? Because he looks and says, if I do that... You're not going to think it comes from me. You're going to think you did it on your own. You're going to consume it upon yourself, as it says in James, that you ask amiss. You know, Ephesians 3.20 says, Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly according to the power that worketh in us. The problem is a lot of times there is that power that God wants to do things, but we don't allow him to work in us because of our unchristlike spirit. We don't allow him the opportunity. We quench the Holy Spirit. So if we cut the sermon off today just in these three verses, and by the way, we didn't because the chicken's not here yet, okay? All right? But if you're like me and we stop the sermon today after those three verses, let me ask you a question. How was your week? How was your week? Did you have a humble week towards God? You were humble towards God? Or were you full of self? Did you have a week that you... You had that heavenly assistance. You didn't try to do everything on your own, but you prayed and asked God to do something in your life. You asked God to help you through that situation, to help you through that frustration, to help you through that anger. And let me ask you this. What about your spirit this week? You're a believer. We all want to work on our, our, our Christianity. We all want to work on our spiritual walk with Christ. If those are the only things that we had is those three verses right there, how would you grade yourself this week? If you're like me, I would not grade myself very good. I would not grade myself very well at all. And don't answer out loud. But I wonder how many of us fuss and murmur about things that don't even matter. You ever argue about something only later to say, what even started this thing? 
They got us so passionate. They got us so upset. It's funny how sometimes we'll spend two hours complaining about something that won't even change anything. Won't even change anything. We start whining and we start thinking about all these other things. And you say, Brother Phil, we'll keep going in the message. Okay, I'll keep going. All right, so I need to work on my own salvation, meaning not my soul for going to heaven, but I need to work on my life spiritually. And once again, don't think I'm talking about work salvation because you have a hard time with Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 if you believe you can work your way to heaven. For by grace are you saved through faith. It's through Christ. But I'm talking about working on your salvation, meaning working on your godly testimony. We say, bro, I feel great. I hear that all the time. You ever hear things preached on or heard on singing or on the radio, and you're like, that sounds really good, but what does that mean? Let me ask you, what is a godly testimony? What is it to be walking with Christ? Well, some things it says in verse 15. That ye may be blameless and harmless as sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom ye shine as lights in the world. Now, what is a godly testimony? I'll tell you right now, it's blameless. It's blameless, what it says right there in the verse. That they may be blameless. You say, what do you think that means? That means without reproach. It means what it says in Romans chapter 14, verse 16. Let not your good be evil spoken of. You say, Brother Phil, you tell me I can accomplish sinless perfection. Now, as long as you're breathing in and out, you're not going to. But what it is saying is this. Don't talk one way as a Christian and believer and live a totally different way because you're letting your good be evil spoken of is what it is. It's kind of like saying, well, yeah, he says all the really nice things, or she says all these really nice things right here. But, man, I've seen the way he or she lives right here. You know what you're doing? You're not living a blameless life. That's not a godly testimony. A godly testimony not only speaks it but lives it, and that's hard. That's hard. I have reminders of that every day. I have four children in my home. They hear me on Sundays. They hear me on Wednesdays. And then i got to go home and make sure I live it. Because you know what? If there's anybody I want to have a godly testimony to, if there's anybody I want to sow a genuine relationship with Christ, it's the four people in my house that God entrusted me with. Let me ask you a question. Is it more important to you, for your boss, for your neighbor, or your friend, to think you're a godly person? more than it is your children or your spouse that live and see you every single day of your life. A lot of us, excuse me, all of us would say, no, 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 I want it at home first. But if you're like me, I don't live that way. We talked about it in a Bible study that we had Thursday morning. We show the least amount of grace and mercy to those whom we love the most. Let's just be honest. After the service is over, you can come down here and say, Brother Phil, I just want to tell you, really enjoyed the service, but I want you to know that all the uh, fried chicken got gone, and I didn't get a piece of fried chicken. And you know, I'm probably not going to come back because I didn't get that piece of fried chicken. And I want you to know, it's probably about five degrees too hot here in the auditorium. And you know what? If you get that worked out, it'd be okay. And you know what more than likely, Lord help me, I'm probably going to do? That's all right. I'm really sorry about that. You know, it's, it's all right. I hope you come back. You know, I'm sorry about that. We'll work on some things. But let Rachel, one of my kids, mumble like that. What am I going to do? I'm probably going to snap like that back at him. So are you. We show the least amount of grace to those who we love the most. And I'm always reminded of this. What if God, today, showed me the same amount of grace that I show those that I love? How much grace would you have? How would that life be? And that testimony of being blameless. But it goes on to say... Not only blameless, but it says harmless. You say, Brother Phil, I understand without reproach. I understand that. But what does harmless mean? It means sincere for Christ without hypocrisy. You know the most harmful thing you can do as a believer? Is for someone that's lost to know that you claim to be a Christian and live a hypocritical life in front of them. That's the most harmful thing you can do. Now, we always joke about this. People that say, I don't go to church... Because it's full of hypocrites. It's kind of like people saying, I'm not going to go to the gym because it's full of fat people or out of shape people. Can I tell you, in this room, and you're looking at it, we're all hypocrites in our lives. The difference is, are we happy with being and content with being hypocritical? Are we here today so God can help us to be like Christ and not like the Pharisees? That's the goal. So if you're here, you say, well, I'll tell you, this is one reason why I don't come to church because it's full of hypocrites. Well, let me tell you something. That's not going to hold water when you stand before God. 
it's not going to hold water. But the idea of living a harmless life, don't live a life for self that harms someone else's spiritual walk or possibly even keeps them from coming to Christ. So we see harmless, but he also says in verse number 15, without rebuke. That goes back to the idea similar to blameless, but that without rebuke means this, without blemish. You know, if I've noticed in my family that if something gets spilled on something, that Rachel is on the ball with grabbing it, treating it real quick, and getting it washed. I mean, she's almost to the point where if you can spill something on her shirt, she can get that thing off of you before you even think about it. And she's got it set, pre, you know, treated, and it's in the washing machine. It's ready to go. You know why? The longer you let that stay there, that stain's probably going to get worse, and you probably aren't going to get rid of it. In our lives as Christians, okay, as Christians, us with Christ, the longer we let sin stay in our life, the more comfortable we get with it. The worse it gets, and the worse it gets, the more I think it's not that bad. The Puritans used to say this, tally up every day, every night, keep short accounts with God. Unconfessed sin in your life is like a stain. It's like a blemish. Everybody in this room knows everybody's going to sin, everybody's going to mess up. We're all going to do it. We're all human. But as the Bible says, a just man falleth seven times, but he rises up again. He gets rid of the blemish. He doesn't let it stay. And we notice in this how to have the godly testimony. What does it say at the end of verse number 15? It says that among whom ye shine as lights in the world. Everybody says, well, I know what the Bible says. I'm supposed to shine you know, I'm supposed to be the light of the world, just the light of mine. I understand. How am I supposed to do that? The way that we're supposed to have the godly testimony, the way that we're supposed to do it is verse 16. Holding forth the word of life. That means in every decision, in everything you do in your life, do you base it on God's word? Is it a authority in your life or is it the authority in your life? And there's a difference, by the way. If God's word is a authority in my life, that means when I like something better, I will go that way. But when the Bible is the authority in your life, you're saying, I'm holding to this. This is what matters. Why is it what matters? Because it's the Bible? Well, yeah, because it's God's Word. It's what God said. You say, Brother Phil, I'm here today and I'm having trouble in my life. Could it be that you're holding a little too tightly to this world and you're grabbing onto things that really aren't going to last for eternity? A missionary said this, and I forgot the name, forgive me for that. It said, hold lightly to the things of this world and hold tightly to the word of God. Hold lightly to the things of this world and hold tightly to the, to the word of God. Maybe, I'm not saying it always is, but maybe today if you have some struggle and trouble in your life, could it be that you have such a strong grip on the wrong stuff? You know, a lot of times we do this and this emotionally, don't we? i got to be honest, sometimes I get on Facebook for mere entertainment. You know, it used to be a day you had to go to the mall to watch people. You go to the Walmart to watch people, which is still pretty cool to do, okay? It is. I tell you, all i got to do is just click sometimes and say, Woo, here it goes. God is good all the time. God is good. 45 minutes later, this is the worst day in profanity and other things. And I'm like, wait a minute, wait, weren't you just praising God with that same mouth, with that same type, that same text, that same post? And if you read the book of James, chapter number 3, it says, Out of the same mouth proceed cursings and blessings. He says, Brethren, these, those, these things ought not so to be. And I, we look at our lives, a lot of times, we're holding on tightly to things that don't matter. It don't matter. And I joke about this. It, and I'm from Tennessee, in case some of y'all don't know this. If Tennessee winning last night makes me have an unbelievable joy today, then something's wrong with me. Y'all like, brother, there's a lot wrong with you. I understand that. (laughs) But if they lost last night, and I'm just kind of like, well, it's time for church today. (sighs) Love lifted me. And I'm not like that. Then I'm kind of grabbing on to the wrong stuff for my joy and happiness. Let me ask you today, the things that really just knock you on your butt emotionally, is it stuff that matters? Is it stuff that will matter in 50 years? Is it stuff that will matter in a month? 
Does it matter? Because we hold tightly onto the wrong things. And he says, the reason I need to hold forth of the word of life is because the next part of that verse says that I may rejoice in the day of Christ. You know what? When I make the main thing the main thing, when I make this word the governing agent of my life, when I make this is what I'm holding fast to, can I tell you something? That gives me joy at the idea of standing before God. Let me ask you a question. If you had to meet God today, would you be excited about that meeting? If you had to meet God today, this was it. Would you be excited about that appointment? Well, I would if you gave me about 24 hours to work out a few little things here and there. You know what that's saying? We don't hold tightly unto the things that really matter. All of us are sinners. All of us are going to mess up in our life. We're going to fall on our face. But Romans chapter 14, verse number 12, is what I call my ministry verse. It's a verse that I hold to myself anytime I got an opportunity to preach, teach, do anything. So then, every one of us shall give account of himself to God. If this is my last sermon that I would ever preach, and I hope I got a lot more years, I appreciate Brother Johnny saying that. I'd be 90 years old, you know, if we do this 50 more years. Okay? Some of y'all might be a little bit older than that, but anyhow. What about when I stand before God. I tell you something that's really helped me in my ministry. I tell you something that's really helped me with my children. It's helped me in my friendships and it's helped me in my marriage. What am I doing to help those people for the day that they're going to meet Jesus? What am I doing for Rachel this week to prepare her for the day she stands before the one that made her? What am I doing for Maggie, Noah, Grayson, and Chloe for the day that they stand before the Lord Jesus Christ? What am I doing for you today? Because I'll be honest with you, this was not the sermon my flesh wanted. I wanted just to smile and laugh and let's all be good. God is good and just run through it. But what am I doing to help you prepare for the day that you stand before God? And I can't believe the testimony that Paul says in the book of Acts. He says, I am free from the blood of all men. You know why he says that? Because he says, when I get up, I'm going to everything that I do and every person I talk to and every encounter I have, every sermon I preach, I'm going to do the whole counsel of God and I'm going to do everything I can for the, to help those people prepare for the day they stand before the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're here today as a Christian, let me ask you, are you working out your salvation? Are you getting the most? Are you growing in Christ? And if you would, and it, this part won't be near as long, but I feel behooved to share with you Matthew 13. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus gives eight parables. You say, what is a parable? A parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. It's basically taking something that is hard to understand and using an example for you to, to understand it better. And that's what, it, that's what a parable is. And Jesus is standing in front of crowds of people, and he's teaching and preaching, and he decides in Matthew chapter 13 to give them eight parables. They're asking him about the kingdom of God. They're asking him when judgment's going to come. They're asking if he's the Messiah that's going to come. And Jesus starts basically talking about, if you read Matthew chapter 13, he starts talking about seeds, he talks about wheat, he starts talking about bread, he starts talking about nets, he talks about all these crazy things and stories. How would you like it today for this homecoming? We got up and I opened the Bible and I said, today I want to tell you about this. I want to tell you about the best barbecue places there are in Milledgeville. Let me tell you about Georgia Bob's, okay? Let me tell you about Old Clinton Barbecue. Let me tell you about this place and that place and that place. Say, okay, Brother Phil, you kind of lost it, hadn't you? But you know what Jesus says? You're not going to understand if I just tell you straight out. So I'm going to tell you in a parable. I'm going to tell you in a way that you understand it. And for a moment... If you let me, I did want to talk to those people that are without Christ here today. Because I don't do my job if I encourage believers, but make lost people just feel good about being lost. And I want to tell you something today. If you look in Matthew chapter 13, beginning in verse number 24, Jesus puts a parable of the wheat and the tares. 
And he says, Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven, verse 24, is likened to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst not thou sow good seed in thy field? From whence then hath it tares? He said unto them, An enemy hath done this. The servant said unto him, Wilt thou that we go and gather them up? But he said, Nay, lest while you gather up the tares, you also root up the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. In the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, Gather ye together first the tares, and bind them in bundles, and to burn them. But gather the wheat into my barn. In this parable of the wheat and the tares, and by the way, tares, uh, you have to understand in part of the parable what's being said here. There in the Middle Eastern times and cultures, they had this uh, weed that was called a tare. And the thing about the tare was this, is that a wheat, if you held up a piece of wheat and you held up a tare, when they started to come up, they looked identical. You couldn't tell what was actually wheat, what was actually good for food, and what was a tear. A tear was something that was poisonous, something that would harm them. And they had to de- uh, separate the two together. But at the beginning, when you saw the wheat come up and tears come up, you couldn't really tell a difference. They looked a whole lot alike. And you say, Brother Phil, what, what's the point of, of the parable of, of the wheat and the tares? Can I tell you, the wheat is the people of God. The seed is the word of God. But can I tell you what the tares are? The lost. Unbelieving people. The enemy in this passage here is it talks about is Satan. But when you see the wheat and it's talking about the children of God, but you also see the part here it talks about the tares, which the tares, as I said, that is not just the pe- it's not the people of God, it's those that are lost. But boy, they look a whole lot like Christians. Can I just tell you something? The easiest place to die and go to hell is sitting in a church pew on Sunday. Because a lot of people in this world want religion, but they don't have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. It's one thing to know about God, but it's another thing to know Him as your Lord and Savior. Well, my mama was a Christian. Well, my daddy was a Christian. Once again, therefore, every one of us individually will stand before God. And when I read this passage, it hurts my heart because I feel as strongly as as Jesus feels here, or in the ballpark, I guess I should say, probably nowhere near as strong as Christ, that I wonder how many people come here Sunday after Sunday, or maybe visiting with us today, and you know all the answers, and you know everything to say, but there's no heart. There's no relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And you look like wheat. But you're not. You look like a believer. You talk like a believer. But there's never been the change on the inside. You've never put your faith and trust in Christ. You're still trusting that church membership. You're still trusting that baptism. You say, Brother Phil, you're telling me it's not important to be part of a church? I absolutely think it's great to be part of a church. You say, Brother Phil, it's not important to be baptized? No, it is great to be baptized. But you know what? That is the step of obedience. It's not salvation. Salvation is in Christ, in Christ alone, your faith and trust in Christ. The only thing you do up in that pool up there is you publicly identify outwardly what has happened on the inside. That's what, that's what that is. Because if getting baptized takes you to heaven, that's a work, and then what Jesus did wasn't enough. But we would never say those things. Well, let me ask you today. What are you trusting in to take you to heaven? And before in your mind you give this Sunday school answer, ask yourself, are you really a child of God? Are you a wheat? Or are you counterfeit? You say, Brother Phil, I'm the real thing. Well, Jesus says, many will say to me that day, Lord, Lord, have we not in thy name done many marvelous works and cast out devils and done all these things? And he will look at them and say what? In Matthew, I believe it's chapter 10. Depart from me. Excuse me, Matthew 7. Ye workers of iniquity, for I never knew you. You know what that word means? Relationship. Relationship. I believe, as much as I'm standing here, there's going to be pastors that are going to die and go to hell. There's going to be deacons. There's going to be ushers. There's going to be Sunday school teachers that will probably be in hell. You know why? Because they had a knowledge of God but never a relationship with Christ. Because they grew up in church. We live in the South. Everybody's a Christian, right? That's what I hear. I mean, everybody's Christian. 
No, you ain't always been a Christian. Not everybody is a Christian. The only reason you're anything at all if you call yourself a child of God is because what Christ has done in your life has got nothing to do with you. But have you received the gift of God? And I don't know if you noticed this, but that particular parable really confused the disciples. Disciples even go on, and we're not going to take the time to look at all of it. In verse number 36, they came up to him and said, uh, I believe 34 on down through 41, he says, Lord, uh, can you explain to me what, what the meaning is? Verse 36, can you declare to us the parable of the tares of the field? They're like, can you explain this to us? Because we don't understand. And it goes on to say in verse number 37, he answered and said to them, He that soweth the good seed is the son of, man, son of man. That's Jesus. The field is the world. The good seed are the children of the kingdom, but the tares are the children of the wicked one. The enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world. And the reapers are the angels. As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end of this world. The Son of Man shall send forth, verse 41, his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and them that which do iniquity. In verse 42, some of the saddest words you ever read, it says, and shall cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. Can I tell you, just as there is a Milledgeville, Tennessee, a Milledgeville, Georgia, or a Nashville, Tennessee, some of you are like, there's Milledgeville, Tennessee. Just as sure as the place you're sitting at, there's a place called hell. But can I tell you something? I don't always live in that reality. Because if you're here today and know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you're like me, man, I would do a lot better at letting my light shine if I lived as if there really was a hell. I have people tell me say all the time, Brother Phil, in Luke chapter 16, that is just a symbol. That's really not hell. That's just a symbol. Well, it is real, but let's just say it was a symbol. It doesn't sound like a good place to go either way. doesn't sound very good at all. The Bible says heaven or hell. That's what it talks about. And Jesus is telling them here, don't be fooled. Realize the reality, for the lost will receive God's wrath that is unimaginable and it's unavoidable if you die here without Christ. I'm telling you, if you die without the Lord, God's wrath is unavoidable and it's unimaginable. You say God is a God of love. You're absolutely right. That's why he gave his son to die on the cross for you when he was perfect and when he was, and he was without sin and he did that for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. But can I tell you today, that harvest that he talks about is this. And I'm almost done. That harvest is talking about the judgment. He says here what will happen. He says, if you noticed in here, he's talking about in the harvest and the reapers will come and they'll gather together and they'll separate those that are the wheat and from the tares, the, the saved from the lost. And he said, those that are, that are without Christ, he says, shall cast them into a furnace where there shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. He repeats it again in verse number 50. And you say, Brother Phil, what does that mean? Well, I want to ask you the same thing that Jesus asked his disciples in verse number, uh, verse number uh, <clears throat> 51 where he says, Have you understood these things? Do you understand them? Because if I can use this illustration, and, and I know I've used it before, and you that have been here before have seen me do it, so you just have to entertain me a little bit, okay? Let's just say for a moment that this rope right here is a symbol of your existence. Okay? Let's just say that this rope for a moment is your whole existence ever from the time you were born throughout the end of eternity. And let's just say this, this little black part right here, this is your existence while you're on earth. And we all know that in the grand scheme of things of eternity, we just get a few short years here on earth, and then we enter into eternity. And eternity goes on and on. You say, Brother Phil, is the rope going on and on? No, it ends right over there at the microphone, okay? But you know what? What I do in this black part right here affects all of this. What I do with Christ during these few short years determine how I either live with or without him for all of eternity. And it's interesting because I know people that are lost, that are good people, and they say, I'm going to work, I'm going to work, I'm going to do really hard, I'm going to save, I'm going to do everything I can because I really want to enjoy this part right here at the end of life. I'm going to work hard, say, I'm really going to enjoy this, I'm going to eat good, I'm going to travel good, I'm just going to enjoy this right here. In the grand scheme of things, I want to look and say, that's so dumb. Because what you do right here affects all of this and how it's going to be for the rest of eternity. 
And you know what? Some people will look at you as a Christian today and say, look at them going to church. Look at them reading their Bible. Look at them giving to the poor. Look at them having faith. Look at them giving up their Sundays. Look at them giving up all that. How dumb that is. Don't they know that's how they're living right now is really going to affect this part right here? And I want to say, no, you're dumb because what you're doing right here is going to affect all this. But let me ask you a question. How are you living that part today? The Bible says in the book of James, what is your life? Is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and vanisheth away. Whenever they talked about the church starting back in 1968, for some of you that were here, some of you were alive during that time, I can say 50 years ago and you can still remember a lot of things just like it's that. But you know what? I look at myself and I turned 40 in June and I think, man, I remember when I was 8, 9 years old. I remember when I was 16 years old. I remember when I was 24 years old. Someone asked me the other day, I said, how old are you? I said, 40. And they went, whoa. And I was like, okay, man, it's all right. You know, <laughs> it's going to be okay. Some people you pray for differently. But anyhow. <laughs> but if you're just going to live this thing like a counterfeit Christian, at the end of the black part, at the end of this life, there's going to come a harvest. And can I tell you something? When you go into the harvest, into the judgment, you can't go back to this. Can't go back. So you know what that means? What I do with this right here is pretty stinking important. If I choose to go through life and live the life that way I want to, I can take a little church. I can take a little reading my Bible. I can take a little praying. I can take being, you know, loving other people. I can take a little giving. I can take a little of that. But you know what? I don't want to be one of these crazy fanatical Christians. I don't know about putting my faith and trust in Christ. Can I tell you something? If you end this right here without Christ, you'll go through the rest of this without him. And this is the part you want him more than any other part. I want Christ in my life here because I don't want to live this right here without him. Because you know what this is right here without him? The Bible says weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. I end with this particular quote. George Whitfield was a preacher of many, many years ago, centuries ago. George Whitfield would go out into a big open area and just start preaching. He never even needed a sound system. Imagine that. He would just sit there and preach, and he would always tell people about the love of Christ, and he would tell them about heaven. We'd tell them about hell. And someone said one time of George Whitfield, they said this, Listeners of Whitfield were urged to consider the torment of burning like a living coal, not for an instant or a day, but for millions and millions of ages, at the end of which people will realize that they're no closer to the end of eternity than they were when they first begun. And they'll never be delivered from that place. Can I tell you today, and I don't say this in a lackadaisical way at all, there are people in hell today that have been there, and it's not going to stop anytime soon. But I ask you today, what will you do with Christ? See, because right now you've got something inside of you telling you this more than likely. You can do that later. You can do that later. Many who plan to seek God in the 11th hour die at 1030, by the way. The Bible says, for what is your life? That today is the day of salvation. Don't go to hell after walking through the doors of any church sitting underneath any sermon just by being baptized? Do you know that you know that you have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? And as I mentioned earlier, if you know the Lord as your Savior, are you getting the most out of what God has given you? Are you stuck in complaining? Are you stuck in pride? Are you stuck in a life that right now is blameless without, with blemish? Are you living a life that's pleasing to God? And what's awesome to know is this as a believer. You can be right with God right now. And also what's awesome is this. If you're here today and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, He can save you right now. Right now. You can change the way you live your existence right now. Work out your own salvation. Father, I thank you so much for the day. Thank you, Lord, for the time and the patience of the people.